Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. I titled this More Than a Hat, and then later on, I titled it More Than a Hat and Dinner, because I was trying to decide if I could get both of these uh, sections of scripture in one shot. And so your notes and the slides may not be accurate, because things changed since, uh, since Thursday uh, a little bit, so follow along with me the best you can. Rarely do I ever consider what kind of class of people I am. The only time I start really considering whether I'm lower class, middle class, or upper class, where it really hits home is when I get to the airport. And I have a real privileged experience of going through TSA, and you feel really relaxed when you get there, right? And TSA is doing a great job. And then you get to that, and you're sitting there, and they're like, okay, uh, first class, gold medallion, blah, 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 blah. Please come to the front of the line. You're like, okay, Who's first class? Okay, those people are definitely first class, apparently, right? And then they say the next thing and the next thing, and they're like, all right, all you barnyard animals that want to get on this plane, you know, come on in. And so you're like, okay, cool, I'm walking through this, and you, know, you got your bag, and you're walking through there, and then you get in there, and you're greeted by the uh, steward, stewardess, stewardess, what do they call it? Flight attendant, excuse me. Flight attendant, they're like, hello, welcome, glad you're here. And then you take that right turn. And these people are already drinking. They look pretty comfortable. And man, are those seats looking nice. And so you're like, okay, there's only eight first-class people on this plane. All right, let me keep on walking. And now, for an extra $127, you can upgrade to business class and get four inches more of leg room. And you're walking past these guys. Oh, these guys definitely are business class. And then you get to that aisle where you start to question things, right? The, the, the next most coveted seat is the exit row. And has anybody ever walked through there and you're like, I don't know if you're going to be able to take care of that. I think you're just in that for extra leg room. I don't know if you could really rip that off and throw there and help me or a little guy like Brian out that door, you know, as you're supposed to. I think you're going to be the first one out. And so you kind of have a little judgment. And then you walk past and you get to row 27 and you got the dreaded middle seat with your, so you get to sit like this for three and a half hours, you know, crawl in there. So when I start thinking of class systems, that's kind of where it really runs into my world of the only time I really think about class, which maybe says something about me. Maybe I don't understand class systems. Maybe I've been too privileged, but I did sleep in a 22-foot wilderness travel trailer for a year when I was 16 years old with my dad and his girlfriend. When we first moved here, we got got to stay at this double wide out off of Wallen Road for free, which was a great blessing, but there's a reason why they let you stay in a double wide for free. Because as we went to the bathroom, there's a, whoa, little hole there. Step over that. But... You start thinking, like, so what, where, where do I rank? What is class system? What does that look like? So in here, is there a class system? Did you get to sit here because you're this certain class? No. When you come into God's, uh, into worship the Lord, we're all coming as equals. And I think God's going to share a little bit more of that through Paul's letter today. Speaking of first class, I've, I've flown first class twice. Once was by accident. And the other one, this will tell you how recent, recent it was. I paid $50 for an upgrade. So you know that that's like forever ago because you don't ever get that anymore, right? And my son, 
gets to fly first class tomorrow from, uh, from St. Louis to Seattle because it was the same free mileage as if I put him in business class. So I'm like, you got to experience this, 20-year-old kid. You're going to be sitting right here in row 1D. He's never going to experience that Harley forever probably, right? First class all the way through. He's a first class young man. So let's talk about the class system because this is going to matter as we unpack this text. So in the Roman world, the class system was everything. It's your identifier. It is definitely who you are. And so Caesar is at the top. And remember, we're talking about Corinthians. We're talking about Paul and the Romans world. This is their world, is the Roman world. Retired Roman soldiers and freed, freed, freed men are living in, Cor- in Corinth. And it's Las Vegas and it's Seattle. Or it's Las Vegas and uh, San Francisco smashed together. And it's wild. And Caesar is the thing. Hail Caesar. It's on your coins. It's on your money. Caesar, the son of God. They use that phrase before we have the real son of God. And it's all about Caesar, 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 Caesar. And then the next group of people, the very limited group called senators, they are just there. They're right there. And that's not even remotely close to how it works in our world today. Oh, yeah, kind of. Senators making all these rules and and, and debating and going through this process. Then you have equestrians and decurions, and these were the the upper. These would be on the the city council boards, and these these would be the the higher level of leadership in your town locally. So Caesar over the world and and your senators over your areas, and then then these equestrians and decurions, and they would be like uh, leaders of, of armies, and those guys have lots of power. And you have free born, people that were born free. Because somebody had paid a price along the way. And then you have freed men. Some people who somehow managed to earn their freedom. And then you have the other 33 to 50% of the people who were slaves. People regarded slaves like you and I regard our dishwashers. They were not human beings. They were machines to be abused, to be replaced, to be thrown out, to be discarded. A third to a half of the population in the Roman world is nothing. They discarded them. No. You're out. This is the culture that Paul is speaking into when he's talking to the Corinthians. And so he has some more things to say. There's this huge disparity between the wealthy and the poor of the poorest. I don't necessarily know that we understand poverty in our great country. It's hard to be poor here. Even our most poor are are richer than, than, than many people in the world. So Paul's like, hey, I want to talk to you guys, but you have to set aside your old Roman way of living The Roman way is power and status had to be replaced with Christ's way of loving your brother in unity into a savior who would get down into the lowest position at a supper and wash his disciples' feet. A rabbi would never do that. He wouldn't have to do that. He's in the powerful seat. But he models it to his guys. This was the message that Paul is preaching. You are members of the kingdom of God. So act like it. Dignity. Dignity as a brother, whether you're wealthy or not wealthy. 
Galatians 3, 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is breaking down the barriers. I used to think of Paul as like this misogynistic, you know, angry, bitter, hard man who, and I'm reading the Bible out of context, and man, he's mean to these ladies, and oh boy, he's just this bitter, angry dude. Paul is the most compassionate and kind and loving and fighting for dignity person that we'll ever see almost. He's fighting for the rights of women. He's fighting for the rights of slaves. This is how he wants God to be put on display. In Corinth and even in Moscow, Idaho. Of the beginning of this of this chapter, it says, "Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ." Sounds good. Sounds good on a piece of paper, doesn't it? How is that working for you, Josh Gray? How are how are you following the example of Christ? How are you the lead servant in your own house, in the church, in the community? What's that looking like? Am I speaking something that I desire into existence, or am I, am I trying to get there? And how about you? I'm a Christ follower, are you? Let's talk about that. Let's see what that looks like. What, is, what do we have to give up to be a Christ follower? So what's this big deal about wearing hats in worship? This is my, my beautiful hat here. What's this big deal about wearing hats in worship? So uh, to gain your freedom, to be able to, 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 to be a freed man, which is like pretty low on the, ring, the rung of things, but hats are huge to tell you the status symbol of what you are in the Roman culture. And if you were a slave and you worked so, so hard and you gained your freedom, you'd get a Smurf hat. And this Smurf hat meant a lot of things to you. They were, slaves were always hatless. It was a symbol of subservience. A covered head was a profound Roman symbol of freedom. It meant you're free to live life as you please. When a slave free, when a, a slave was freed during the ceremony, they would get this Smurf hat, and it was worn with great pride. I'm a free man. I can make my own decisions in life. It would be a huge deal because. A third to a half of the population didn't have a hat. They're as valuable as your Maytag washer. You'll discard it and get a new one. And so to have a hat means that you can make decisions by yourself. Paul goes on to say, verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But... I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prophesies with his head covered dishonors uh, his head. Why? 
What's the big deal with the hat? Why would you not wear your hat into a church service or one of those things? This is no condemnation on anybody wearing a hat here, just so you know. But why would you not wear your hat in that time into a church service? Why, what is Paul getting at here? The truth is that we are not free to live our lives as we please if we've submitted them to the will of Christ. We've been freed. We live in a free country. But we're free to worship our Father in heaven and submit our lives to him. So take, in his words, take your hat off when you come in to serve. There's no status in here. There's no status in here. You don't walk into church and be like, I'm a freed man, move over, sit down. This is my seat right here. And when you come into God's presence, you are all his servants. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no male. There is no female. We are all servants of God. So we're to remove our hats of independence and self-determination. And when we come to worship God, this is figuratively represents a life in submission to God. Paul's asking them, hey, this church needs to model what it looks like to submit to God. Verse five, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. How come you ladies aren't covering your head? You're in this church. It's cultural. They covered their heads all the time. Context matters. In their culture, women always covered themselves in every ceremonial or moral or religious function. Only prostitutes would stand there with their heads uncovered. Your bodies are not your own. There should be no, like, there should be no prostitutes in the kingdom of heaven. Because that probably wasn't a job that somebody's desiring to be used and thrown away and used and thrown away and used and thrown away. That's probably something they had to do because there was not people looking out and taking care of the widows and the orphans. There should be no, no, no prostitution or, or all, all those things in here. No. But the principle is that neither the man nor the woman was free to live their lives as they please. You now represent the kingdom of God. Remember that the issue of hats is, is uh, cultural in Corinth. Not in the American church today, but the principle is still the same. The principle is still the same. We're not American Christians. We are Christians who get the absolute pleasure of living in America. See, God wants us to submit ourselves to one another. Verse 7 says, A man ought not to cover his head, since he is in the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. And neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. You have authority over your own head, women. You have, you have a responsibility you have an authority and responsibility to serve God too. It's not just your husband's things. It's not just, and guys, like, this is an this is heat. You have freedom to worship ladies. Not to worship ladies, but you know what I meant. You ladies have the freedom to worship. 
you're welcome to the table. This would be so weird in Paul's world. Are you kidding me? You're even addressing the women? Nevertheless, and the Lord woman is not independent of man. Wait, oh, uh, nor is man independent of woman. What? For as woman came from man, so also man was, is born of woman. But everything comes from God. This isn't a hierarchy, strong arm, who's bigger, who's better, sexist debate, all those things. This is total, complete submission to our Savior in heaven when we gather together to worship him. We're just submitting to each other. So Paul's basically saying, so check your class status at the door when you gather to worship. This is God's house and everyone gets a seat at the table. Everyone gets a seat at the table. You matter. You're important. You are seen, you are heard, you are loved in the presence of God. And Paul wants this church to model that. He wants this church to be a place where people feel that they're, they're comfortable, they're seen, they're heard, they're loved, they matter, whether they are a male, whether they are female, whether they are, they are freed, whether they're a, a slave. How does God see his sons and daughters? Do you think he looks at you and I through class, class glasses? I don't think so. Speaking of the seats at the table, this is not in your notes. The next part of this uh, passage is uh, Paul correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Now Paul begins by addressing uh, the gathering together of these believers from every class. So he's like, okay, men, women, we're serving God, freed, slave, we're serving God, but you're not acting like it. And in his very gentle way, Paul goes on to say, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. I wonder about that. I'm like, do my meetings do more harm than good? I hope not. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. That must have been so heartbreaking to Paul. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. I can't believe what I'm hearing, he says. You're coming together for the Lord's Supper and you're acting like you're still living in the Roman world. You're not checking your class at the door. Is this how you're supposed to put God on display to the rest of the world? Verse 20, so then when you come together, uh, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. You're not coming together as like how, how Christians would come together. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry. We got starving people over here, and this guy's drunk. He's got so much opulence, he can be drunk, and this person's not even going to get a chance to eat. That is not the kingdom of God. That class system has to go away. See, in my kingdom, there is no class system. And Paul's like, you're reverting to your old habits. You're divided. You don't love one another. You eat as if you're still acting the same way inside the church as you were outside the church. 
Goes on to say, don't you have homes to eat in then? You going to flaunt what you have? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? That's not the way it works here. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So now I have to internalize that. What does that look like at real life on the Palouse? Do we have a class system here? Are we known for being a serving church out in the community, making sure that we don't have any uh, uh, prostitutes, making sure that we're taking care of the widows and the aliens and the orphans, making sure that we're sending people to rehab, uh, making sure that we're doing all these things? Where are our resources flowing to build up our own kingdom here? Are we building a kingdom out there? And when people come in here, it's different. And it's right in front of your face. Some of you guys might have missed it yesterday, but we had a men's breakfast yesterday and a guy spoke yesterday and his ministry was right in front of his face. And he almost missed it. And then he was bold enough to conquer fear and look at the ministry right in front of his face and not always think that it's better at the next church and it's better over here and it's better over here and I can't wait to get away from the Right in front of your face. God puts people right in front of your face. Remember, your primary identity is not as an American. I'm not beating up on America. I love me some America. My American son is flying home. It's in the Air Force. I love it. I love it. But is that how you classify yourself? When you think of yourself, do you think of yourself as an American before you think of yourself as a follower of Christ? Then we've got a problem. You see, God is at the top. Our Savior is at the, at the top. And then the rest of us are all equal. Freedmen, slaves, senators, Caesar, we're all here. God is at the top. So therefore, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we do it in unity. When we gather together, we do it in unity. And this flips their world upside down. And I wonder, is there a class structure that we need to break out of in our world here? Is there some place that we're stuck? Look at the seats around you. Do people not feel welcome here? Is it too hot? Kind of up here it is. But this is a place where slaves, freedmen, women, like this is a place for them to hear some amazing preacher not always to be loved by you hopefully always to praise God always who are we bringing with us to the kingdom of heaven well I'm nervous I'm just not a very good evangelist okay well that's good they could just go to hell then no no, we're, we're called to have an answer for the hope that we have, aren't we? Some of us have different giftings. Paul says that earlier. We have different giftings. But we're to use those giftings. To be bold. We're going to take this time uh, to go into uh, communion. And while you're getting your communion open, go ahead and do that. We'll have guys walking from the back to do that. But we're going to hold this. If you are part of God's kingdom, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, We want you to participate in this supper. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, I got great news for you. 
I would love to talk to you about him. He's amazing. He's changing the world. He's been changing the world forever. And so you can, you can pass on this, but we'll, we'll un- open this up. And uh, thanks, thank you, Jay. Thanks, Willie. We're going to go ahead and get ready for Lord's Supper, but I want you to think about this story uh, that I was given by one of our folks in Sermon Club, and I think it's great. Paul begins this chapter with an admonition to follow me as I follow Christ. So here's a rabbinic story for you to think about. A rabbi and his son were walking home one night. It was late. They had been at the synagogue studying the Torah, and they're walking through an old alleyway. They were studying God's word together, a rabbi and his son. The rabbi sees another father and son, and they're drunk. And they're stumbling through the, the, the gutters. And they're passing each other, one coming from the synagogue, studying God's word, and the other coming from a tavern, drunk together, studying God's word together. And he turns to his son. The rabbi turns to his son. And he says, son, I envy that man. Why? Why do you envy that drunk man and his drunk son? Son, I envy that man. He has successfully passed along his values to his son. I can only hope that he isn't more successful than I. As I think about that story, it kind of rattles me to my core. What am I passing along? What's valuable to us? What environment are we opening up here for people? Are you comfortable inviting people to the church you happen to worship at? Do you want them to hear what God has to say in his word, the best that we understand it. Do you want him to, to sing and praise all oh, my hope is in Jesus? Do you want him to look at you like, what is this Jesus thing? What is this hope? Tell me more. The question I was asking is, is your life worth imitating? Because people are watching. We are making disciples. Disciples of what? Of love, compassion, hope, joy, opening the doors. Are we seeing people? Are we laying our lives down? Jesus laid his life down. So on that night when they're together, he's talking with his guys and he says, you know, hey, this is my body. This is my body. I'm, I'm going to lay it down for you guys. When he, when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, and it's for you. The ultimate act of submission 
submitting himself to dying on a cross, submitting himself for you and I today and for humanity. He said, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Imitate me. Follow me. Let's take this to heart as we look to our Savior. In the same way, he took the cup. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're doing something. You're doing something that's unique. You're doing something that's special. You're doing something that I set apart for you. Because I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'd love to catch my children, my followers, doing what we ask them to do. And so let's follow him mightily. Father God, I just thank you. You have made us so, so, so free. The freedom that we have with your word to seek it, to understand it, to have you open it up to us in a mighty way. It's right there. It's right there. There's no hiding in a dark cave with a tiny piece of scripture. There's not a whole lot of fear right now to be able to get together and gather and praise and sing your name mightily and let the world know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, you've given us the ultimate freedom, the freedom over death. Lord, help me to not take that freedom for granted. Help me to see what you have for this church, what you have for the people here, that we can just be your servants, Lord. That people would know your great name because you are so worthy and you are so great for people to know and to get freedom, the true freedom. That It's not the freedom of stuff. It's not the freedom of status. It's the freedom found in worshiping you. Let us worship you mightily, Lord. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.